Gamble on, fellas. Gamble on. <laughs> Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist, John Brennan. In my home state of Pennsylvania, we're not able to bet on the NFL draft. But, John, in your home state of New Jersey, you can. Uh, And I hope you pounced after our colleague Jeff Edelstein read a mock draft on The Athletic that had NC State offensive lineman Ikeem Ekwanu going first, despite being listed at 100 to one for that draft position at DraftKings and PointsBet. And Jeff sent a quick heads up to the sports betting enthusiasts on our staff before the price started dropping. Uh, now, Ekwanu is down to five to one. Here's my question, John. Is there any chance we're dealing with a poor man Sid Finch situation where one writer at The Athletic wrote something wacky just for the hell of it, and he happened to dramatically move a betting market? Well, first off, for those of you under age 45, if you want to Google Sid Finch, and I don't know why you would, but it's S-I-D-D Finch. It was a pathetic attempt at April Fool's Day humor by Sports Illustrated that fell flat outside of a narrow, snobby community. There's a hot take. (laughs) Yeah, that is. I haven't heard that one. All right. Uh, But topic at hand, I I didn't see the note on Jeff. So uh, I did find Equinu last night at uh, MGM in New Jersey, four to one now to be first pick. Um, Biggest shift in long shot to contender odds in New Jersey, I think, since some director suddenly was supposed to win an Oscar a few years ago. (laughs) An option that we also have here in New Jersey, by the way. And of course, that guy lost. Uh, You know, we had a guest on a few months ago on the podcast whose motto is nobody knows shit. Right. Uh, I agree with that. So, uh, <laughs> look, best case scenario, this is the guy that Jaguars like so far. We'll see how he does at the combine. Me, give me quarterback Kenny Pickett at 30 to 1. We're one of the many desperate and clueless franchises, the Washington Admirals being among them. Uh, they panic and trade away most of their picks just to be on the safe side and draft Pickett. That's interesting. Haven't uh, haven't heard that theory. Uh, what I'm mostly hearing is no quarterbacks going in the top 10. But uh, th- this is an odd situation where clearly 100 to 1 was wrong, but five to one or the four to one that you're seeing now, those are probably wrong. Also, I assume the books are overreacting just in case. Um, Equanu is still only the fourth favorite. The great majority of the time, the bets that have been placed on him are going to lose. Uh, And even if the athletic writer has good sources saying that the Jaguars are leaning Equanu, that can change several times over the next uh, several months. Uh, Or as you said, maybe they trade the pick away. All, All we really know is, He's in the mix for the top pick. And if you did happen to get him at 100 to 1, you can hedge by putting a little on Hutchinson, Thibodeau, and Neal and, and work out the math to make a little profit as long as one of the four hits. Although if, if Kenny Pickett comes in, then you're screwed and you've lost four <laughs> times as much. Um, I can't imagine, though, that the athletic writer is just messing around. I sort of threw that Sid Finch thing out there as a uh, as an extreme case. I don't think it's this is anything remotely resembling that, but it is a little scary how much power one mock draft can have on a betting market. And, um, you know, it kind of makes you be reminded that there is some logic in Pennsylvania, not allowing bets on things like this that aren't determined on the field. 
Uh, yeah. And, and I guess, uh, I'm not sure what New Jersey's limits are, you know, what the Oscars, right. um, it's very low limit. It's uh, sort of an entertainment thing. If you're a big fan of, uh, of movies and you want to watch, and then you have a rooting interest and you want to put 10 bucks on it, you know, at six to one, you can do that and win 60 bucks or whatever, but you know, you're not betting, you don't want somebody betting $25,000 on it. And, uh, uh, hopefully the, the NFL, uh, draft odds are not maybe that limited, but, but, somewhat limited in the sense that yeah there's so much opportunity for behind the scenes uh, finagling here that uh, you know at least with a, with a ball game the game hasn't even happened yet so if you're betting before the game starts um nobody knows who's going to win because right. the players are not all going to cooperate in the same direction but um there is a point at which the jaguars are going to know who they're going to pick and somebody might know that and if that information gets out then uh, that's free money so uh, yeah i think limits on these things are the important part yeah, I'll have to uh, ask Jeff Edelstein off air just how much he got down on, on Aquanu <laughs> and also whether uh, if it was a lot, if he got a max bet down, is he is he hedging at all? Uh, would I'd be curious to know. All right. Well, thank you to everyone for joining us for episode number 178 of Gamble On. If you missed any of our previous 177 episodes, they're all available on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast apps. Please subscribe, rate, and review while wearing a boot on one foot and nothing on the other foot in tribute to Sid Finch. Uh, Sid Finch. Right. <laughs> um, coming up a little later in the show, we're going to be joined by one of our most frequent guests, our boss, the GM of editorial and commercial sites for Better Collective US. That's Adam Small. We'll ask Adam about the financial impact on the business of New York launching sports betting, attitudes in his home state of Georgia toward gaming expansion, and the overall speed with which sports betting is growing in the US. But first, it's been a eh, moderately busy week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Let's start the news segment for the third week in a row with some New York sports betting talk. Specifically, let's focus on the early handle numbers that were released last Friday. I'm not sure if this is going to become a regular thing in New York, the state releasing numbers weekly instead of monthly, um, but they did share numbers covering the first nine days of betting action, including two NFL weekends. The numbers are enormous, as we knew they would be. $603.1 million in handle with a strong $48.2 million in operator revenue, which means at a 51% tax rate, New York has already set the record for the highest single state single month tax revenue in U.S. sports betting history. Perhaps most interestingly, Caesars is the leader in New York handle through the first nine days with 42.7% of the market share, which seems surprising at first glance, since in most states it's either DraftKings or FanDuel. But it's not so surprising when you point out that Caesars had the biggest initial promo offer, a $3,000 deposit match. So New Yorkers are depositing big and betting big at Caesars. But in perhaps an ominous sign, the $3,000 promo lasted less than two weeks as Caesars has already chopped it in half to $1,500. John, any analysis of Caesars' success and subsequent promo reduction and whether it means the free money in New York won't last long? And any other thoughts on these staggering numbers? Well, yeah, back in the early days of usbets.com, meaning 
like mid 2018, I used to follow the New York State Gaming Commission more closely. And in 2019, when the four commercial casinos opened upstate, uh, I seem to recall some weekly numbers. So if you know where to look, it's not easy to find, but their fiscal year ends in March or April, by the way, too, which is weird. But hmm. anyway, uh, I've been absolutely bombarded by Caesars ads for months being in the New York, New Jersey market. And uh, I like New, York, New Yorker Conan O'Brien in small doses, but he did recently uh, have a tweet on something to the effect of, I haven't seen a gambling ad in seven minutes. Am I right. dead? Which was great because that's about the way all of us feel. That's good stuff. And uh, I have noticed that Caesars does not seem to have made a lot of inroads in New Jersey. And I wondered about this billion dollar spending spree. But as we've noted, New York has twice the population of New Jersey and a pent up demand. And to compete with FanDuel and DraftKings and their massive pile of customer data from DFS players, uh, far more viable, we learned, than having a bunch of, well, elderly retail casino gamblers on a list. Um, they have to do this, I guess. And uh, it seems to be working so Somewhat. So uh, uh, respect to that, I suppose. Um, yeah, I can picture the free money drying up quickly uh, for sure. The most desirable customers have been champing or chomping, as you prefer, at the bit uh, to sign up. And so that's done. The next wave is the more casual player. Won't even know what they missed in terms of the promotion. So why bother with the craziest levels of that when uh, they're going to sign up anyway? Right. Uh, I'll uh, take a, take us on a brief detour and say that I like uh, Conan O'Brien in large doses. And uh, I would say other than any podcast that I host, his podcast is my favorite podcast out there. Uh, it's, it's quite quite outstanding. And uh, I called him a New Yorker. I, I suppose the uh, Bostonians might uh, dispute that, but I guess he's a New Yorker these days anyway. So um, you've seen all those ads he is. <laughs> right. I think he might even be bi-coastal. He's, I think he's one of those L.A. New York people. But uh, but uh, the Boston area is uh, where he hails from. And uh, he often refers to his uh, 100% pure-blooded Irish heritage. So anyway, <laughs> getting back to sports betting, um, I definitely view Caesars cutting back so quickly on its promo as a sign that the betters in New York won't be able to enjoy this free money uh, for, for very much longer. Um, due to the high tax rate, this will settle into being a promo light state more quickly than any other we've seen, I presume. Caesars made its splash, as you said, it, it snagged many thousands of customers that might otherwise have chosen a different sports book. Now it hopes a bunch of those customers will slowly lose their deposits and redeposit and they'll have some long term players. But you got to remember, they're also having these tech issues out of the gate uh, and they've had customer service issues as well. I don't know, people might be inclined to play through their bonus and then cash out and move over to another site. I will make this prediction. Even if Caesars finishes January as the handle leader in New York, by the end of February, it'll be DraftKings or FanDuel that is number one in handle in that state. Well, that's pretty, uh, pretty bold, too. I, I, I think um, now I'm starting to see the method to the madness. I suspect that what Caesars figured out and decided was, look, we'll do the $3,000 promo until we get to X number of customers. Mm -hmm. And hopefully it's not going to take that long. And guess what? Within a couple of weeks, they're already there. And then they're like, all right, that's encouraging. We can now chop it in half because we have a number we like. And obviously that's still a big number. Uh, I think it's probably the, still the biggest, I think. So, you know, they're still going to get more customers out of it, but they you know, they don't have to give away as much money. So uh, I don't know if it works in the long run, but I at least I can kind of understand where they're going now. Yeah. Um, I, I, we should take a moment uh, to to really stop and marvel at the the achievement of the uh, the tax revenue end of things. Uh, that in nine days of operation, they yeah. they have raised more tax revenue through sports betting than any other state has done in any other month in these last three and a half years. That is incredible, and that's before factoring in 
the weekend on which the Bills lost to the Chiefs on the money line and lost to the Chiefs against the spread. Those uh, last 13 seconds of regulation time were an enormous win for the sports books in New York. Uh, those numbers are just going to go up when the end of the month uh, tallies are, are out. Uh, even if, you know, as our guest uh, from FanDuel, uh, John Sheeran, told us a couple of weeks ago, it all evens out nationally for the sports books that are in numerous states, at least in the New York numbers, uh, I suspect uh, the sports books did quite well on that Chiefs result. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but uh, yeah, another way for the uh, Buffalo fans to be wounded, the ones that didn't bet illegally before, you know, all they, they bet what they, they rooted with their hearts and had their hearts broken and now their bankrolls are down too. So <laughs> yeah. welcome to, welcome to legal sports betting fellas. <laughs> yeah. We know a little something about that as we'll get to when the, when the bankroll <laughs> segment rolls around this week um, for our next story, we go from a state with a 51% tax rate to a state proposing a 55% tax rate. And it's a state that a lot of people thought would never jump on the sports betting train, Hawaii. A representative, John Mizuno, submitted a bill last week to regulate sports betting. And he told Sports Handle, quote, what we did was copycat New York's law. We wanted to follow New York, but go with a higher tax. We said, hey, New York got it passed, so let's do what they did. Mizuno doesn't sound especially confident that the bill will pass, noting that Hawaii is, quote, a little conservative when it comes to gaming. Uh, still, there is now sports betting legislation on the table in Hawaii. John, do you see any chance this passes and Hawaii legalizes sports betting this year? And bigger picture, is the New York tax rate setting a precedent that is severely skewing the tax rates other states are going to pursue from this point forward? Right. Hawaii is a little conservative when it comes to gaming. That's <laughs> Beautiful. I mean, that's like saying that I can't think of a variation of a, for another state that won't offend somebody. So I'll do a hard okay. pass on that. I'll just say it's an understatement. OK, <laughs> so, you know, I've mentioned before that New York is like that high maintenance, romantic interest anyone had years ago. If they're desirable enough, you make a lot of compromises. Let's face mm -hmm. it. But yep. Hawaii and arguably any new state out of the top five in population and market potential. Not so much. We didn't see the gaming industry resistance in Pennsylvania or New York, the many doomsayers claim, with the high tax rate. But Pennsylvania's tax rate is lower than New York, and it's pretty enticing as a state itself, as you know. Right. Um, this bill's going nowhere in Hawaii. You know, forget that. But if a midsize or smaller state is touting a massive tax rate, not only will industry lobbyists descend on their state houses like uh, locusts, but they'll be able to make their case pretty persuasively. I mean, who wants to sponsor a high tax gambling bill that becomes law and then no company's interested at that price? Yep, I'm with you 100% on this. Something's got to give with these tax rates. Um, Brant Iden told uh, Jeff Edelstein for Sports Handle for a follow-up article that the 50% tax rate only makes sense in this particular jurisdiction, meaning New York, mm -hmm. and it only makes sense for the operators who got involved because they didn't want to not be in New York, even if they're going to lose money at first. So he's right on the same page as what you were just saying. The fact is, if you're not New York or maybe Florida or Texas or California, mm -hmm. In any of these other states, operators might decline to come there if the tax rate is so high that they can't make a profit. So, you know, even if 55% were to pass in Hawaii, and like you, I can't imagine it will, but, you know, just hypothetically, if it did, DraftKings, FanDuel, BetMGM, Caesars, some or all of them might crunch the numbers and decide it's not worth opening up shop there. So, I would imagine this bill will undergo some major changes, including the tax rate coming down. It's still is a long shot to pass anytime too soon, I would think, but I think the bill will change. And my suspicion in terms of big picture and longer term is that New York 
hasn't really shifted the paradigm in terms of like 51% becoming the norm, but it has made it so that other states will at least get closer to that. Maybe the Pennsylvania number, 36%, that might become roughly the norm. I, I do, you know, I think with New York's success, the days of new states proposing a tax of around 10% might be about over. So New York is going to have an effect. It just might not translate to a direct copycat effect in terms of the number that gets passed in other states. Yeah, I think if the lawmakers are wise, they will consider Pennsylvania too and figure, are you as big as New York? You know, little uh, little branches, you know, are you, are you as big as New York? No, move over here. Yeah, then <laughs> right. uh, you can't do 51%. Are you as big as Pennsylvania? No, you can't do 36%, you know, and kind of go from there. You're right that the 8 and 10% days or 15% days uh, are over, but uh, it's it's a kind of a reality check for states. I mean, as much as I like to tout New Jersey, last November, there was a referendum on whether to legalize college sports in, in uh, New Jersey, right. uh, betting in, in state, you can bet on all the other college games. And none of the operators spent a nickel uh, lobbying to try and get it passed because it's not worth it. It just doesn't matter to them. And it failed and they don't care because Rutgers football is not moving the needle in New Jersey. So, right. you know, even uh, mighty New Jersey gets humbled a little bit here and there. And other states would be wise to take that into account. Yeah. All right. Our third news story this week takes us to one of those sort of mid-range size states or maybe even slightly below. I'm not sure exactly where they rank, but we're going to Tennessee, where the volunteer state just volunteered to be a guinea pig with regard to a different kind of sports betting. Last Thursday, the Wager app, that's W-A-G-R, because the cool way to spell words ending in R on an app uh, is to get rid of that vowel, I guess. Um, The Wager app launched in Tennessee offering peer-to-peer sports betting, something other states have talked about, but none have tried yet. Peer-to-peer means bettors aren't taking on the house. They're taking on other bettors who like the opposite side of a line they like, with wager taking a rake of 5% on each transaction so that, like in a poker game, the house can't lose. So Tennessee now has nine online sports books, including the only regulated peer-to-peer book in the country, though I believe New Jersey is perhaps close on their heels on this front. Uh, John, as a better, how much does peer-to-peer interest you? And as an industry analyst, do you think this is going to catch on? Well, you know, New Jersey, not shockingly, is the only state that has offered this already for horse racing. Uh, right. I spent a few hours with a cartel that got into it a few years ago, and it's a frenetic pace to watch because part of this exchange wagering in New Jersey was live betting in the middle of a horse race. I mean, who can wait two full minutes to get the result? You can't wait that long anymore. Come on. It's the 2022. Um, now, making a bet at halftime of an NFL game is one thing, but watching the odds shift almost second by second in the middle of a horse race makes your heart race, even when you're not betting on it. Uh, but, but now, our, our European subscribers know already that's no big deal across the pond with so much of this, but uh, it fizzles in New Jersey for various reasons, but uh, the state is talking about this for all sports, and last I checked, the bigger focus, though, at the moment seems to be fixed odds, which is where you bet a horse at 10 to 1, 15 minutes before the race, boom, that's your price. You don't have any changed odd surprises. The horses come out of the gate and all of a sudden he's 3 to 1. You're like, what the hell happened to 10 to 1? So they're going to get that done shortly, I think. And then they'll probably pivot to uh, peer-to-peer or exchange wagering on uh, uh, sports betting, too. Now, I would imagine Tennessee goes at peer-to-peer a little cautiously at first compared to what I saw. Um, but as for me... What I witnessed here was basically a set of day trader stock market guys chasing every tiny edge. I mean, reminds me of the old line about poker, right? There's a sucker at every table. So <laughs> if you look around and you don't see a sucker, then the sucker's you. <laughs> yeah. So I'd be the sucker. I'm going to pass on this. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I have no idea how much this will appeal to the casual better. I think, as you basically were just saying, it will appeal 
a lot to the serious better, you know, the pro or the semi-pro better, because if you put in the work, if you take the time to look hard enough at all your options, this opens up more potential soft spots. It's like head-to-heads in DFS. It's like poker. There are small edges to be had by finding weaker opponents. I'm not totally 100% clear on the mechanics of wager, but I think if I'm understanding it correctly, it's not just that wager sets a line, like say 290.5 passing yards for Joe Burrow. I think a better can set their own line and see if yeah. someone takes the other side. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So let's say I project Burrow for 270 passing yards. Now I could go ahead and bet under 290 and a half at any old sports book and feel pretty good about it, but I could also put my own bet out there under 299 and a half at wager and see if someone is foolish enough to take the over. So it sounds like you're nodding in agreement that that is how this works. And if so, it creates more opportunities for sharp bettors who are taking this really seriously to improve their odds. Yeah. And now points bet in effect already does this where they, you know, pick your own odds. So, right. You can say, and and now they're not the only ones too. Right. Where right. you love Burrow, Burrow's going to get 350 yards or whatever, right? So, um, what's plus what's a uh, over 350, and you get two to one or two and a half to one or whatever. You can do that already. Right. But just to get a peek behind the curtain of what the pros did in horse racing, um, the one guy's telling me that he likes the two horse. Let's say whatever it was, but three years ago, and but uh, the two speed horses have scratched in that race. So he said, even though I'm not betting the two to start, if he gets off to a decent lead, no one can catch him because the speed horses won't wear him out so five seconds into the race he gets off to a good start and right away he's he's searching around 15 different uh, terminals and looking for people offering because in new jersey you can bet on a horse not to win which which a lot of horse racing fans have rooted for decades like i know the favorite's not going to win but damn it i don't know who will you can just bet them not to win so he is banging literally banging the you know keyboards of like 10 different computers at once taking on all comers because he already knows who's going to win the race 10 seconds in and for another 15 seconds other people don't know that so he's he's furiously taking every bet he can get and then at a certain point every you know the amateur realizes like oh crap no it looks like no one's going to catch this guy and the offers dry up and he's like damn it damn it he was opening another five seconds of sucker money so um if you're looking at this without being behind on the wrong side of the curtain that's what those guys are doing it sounds almost like uh, the the frenetic scene at the end of trading places where they're in the pit and they're taking the bets on one side and then they're jumping to the other side or you know it's it's it's, it's got a little bit of that kind of vibe plus this group had like an expert on harness racing an expert on certain thoroughbred tracks you know and a computer expert guy to look at things another guys i mean all that just like in dfs you have the sort of syndicates where one guy's the weather guy right one guy's the last second entry guy one guy might be sort of an insider one guy's a medical guy who's got a background there to know that you know when they say whatever ankle you know 20 minutes before the game that guy's not playing so dump him out of your lineup i mean that sort of thing this is what pros do so you know, most of us are just amateurs and we need to know our place. Yeah, I, I don't want to be betting against those guys. That's for sure. <laughs> it's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview. Well, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens didn't get the call this week to stand among the immortals. 
but Adam Small did. Today we make history as we induct Adam into the Gamble On Five Timers Club. His plaque goes up on the wall right next to Dan Box. Uh, like Dan, Adam is a member of our Better Collective family. He's the GM of editorial and commercial sites for Better Collective US, which is a fancy way of saying he's our boss. And as evidenced by his appearance count, we love having him on the podcast to give his perspectives on the industry. Adam, welcome back to Gamble On. Thanks. I still think I was the first guest ever, right, on the show. So I do have that in my Hall of Fame resume. And uh, I still remember that day very well because I was in a Starbucks in Costa Rica and I was trying to find a room that had decent acoustics and <laughs> somehow we made it work. So um, what was that? Uh, almost four years ago now. So we've been doing this for a bit. Yeah. First podcast, I guess, was August 2018, I think, or maybe July, yeah. somewhere in that range. So, uh, yep, the the first and uh, as of now, the last uh, to appear on the podcast. Hopefully not. Uh, <laughs> that won't end up being the, the case and we'll be back again next week. But um, so before we get into hot topics in the gambling world, I want to ask you about your position in the business and how it's changed. Uh, when you brought me and John aboard in 2018, you were CEO and part owner of a small publishing outfit. Now you're an employee of a much, much larger organization. How has that transition been for you? And is there anything you miss about the old days, which I presume felt a little more high stakes for you personally? Yeah, um, it's good right now. It's real good. Um, I definitely um, ha have had a certain allergy to big companies throughout my career to this point, uh, I guess over the last 20 years or so, I've never really been part of one. This is by far the biggest company I've been a part of. And uh, I don't know if that that allergy was founded or unfounded because I, I didn't have any experience with it. I just um, started out my career working with two partners and no employees on a business and, um, you know, just having a lot of control over really everything in the business. The three of us uh, had tremendous decision-making authority and control and really other than, you know, just laws and things like that, not a lot obstructing us. And, uh, and I was used to mostly working like that for most of the last 20 years. But um, as we've joined Better Collective since we got acquired in 2019 and, and up through getting fully acquired at the end of this past year, um, I've learned what it is to be part of a bigger business. Some of it is not that different. We're still like managing our team that's not in itself a huge company. It's just like a team within the company. And, uh, you know, we still have our own decisions that we make and, and a fair amount of control over all that. But then, uh, you know, as the broader organization has certain standards it needs to meet and, and you know, just learn to work within those contexts. And um, it's a lot of good people. I mean, Better Collective just full of really good people. I love the, uh, the Danish work culture. I think uh, they're really uh, great to their employees all around the world. There's a reason a lot of people want to work for them. So um, I, I, I'm really enjoying it so far. Uh, it's different, but uh, so far I, I love we've been expanding our team and planning a bigger operation than we've had. And it's been fun. It's like everybody we brought in has been great. We've got all these new colleagues and uh, we never could do that when it was just a couple of us. So uh, that part's awesome. But overall, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. Happy to uh, be in this next chapter. The only downside to the expansion of the team is it means more people that we need to try to work into the podcast guest rotation, <laughs> which means a little less frequency of Adam Small appearances, I think. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm still, uh, I'm always here, always available. But uh, yeah, if you want like, uh, you know, like uh, 
Mark Saxon to come on and talk about his Hall of Fame boat. Well, I didn't have a Hall of Fame boat, so <laughs> right. you know he's, he might just be more interesting than me. Believe me, we ha- we have Mark uh, ready to go for shortly before baseball season, assuming <laughs> that uh, baseball season starts uh, somewhere close to on time. So yeah. Oh man, don't even want to think about it. It has to happen, <laughs> right? It has to. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Adam, I've had my own lifelong aversion, and it's to actually being management. And uh, so far, I've been successful in that front. Uh, <laughs> and I know you've made a little transition here, but. Uh, it, in spite of that, I, I think a good question that people would want to hear from you is uh, take a state like New York, which just recently launched uh, mobile sports betting. I mean, for me, I've covered a lot of train wrecks and this one has been very entertaining for the last three and a half years. But, you know, now they finally got their act together and there's a lot of uh, money being made. And uh, I imagine on a business side that might be relevant to better collective. And uh, I think I'm going to do the old uh, Will Ferrell old school movie earmuffs when I ask this question, when you answer it. I don't want to hear what it is, but um, for those in, in more you know, entrepreneurial or management minded uh, or profit minded. Uh, how does a, a state like New York coming online to mobile affect a company like uh, Better Collective? It's so funny. I was just thinking about old school like an hour ago. I don't know why, how that came up twice in one day for me. Because but, you were uh, saying something in front of your kids that they needed the earmuffs for? <laughs> or, or maybe I thought about old school and then my phone detected that and served John and Ad to talk about old school on the podcast. With me. I mean, you know, who knows, right? Um, as far as New York's concerned, uh, it's huge for BC and it's huge on a number of levels because um, First of all, it's the biggest U.S. state that's gone live. So for our part of the business, uh, it's it's the biggest opportunity that we've seen so far, at least in sports betting. They don't have online casinos, so it doesn't have everything that a state like Michigan has. But on the other hand, um, New York's population is, I believe, north of 20 million. And it's also uh, one of the wealthiest states in the country per capita, highest per capita income. And um, it's also symbolically very important i think in the industry the first of the big four states and really the sort of economic capital of the u.s i think in in many people's view um certainly the way international communities view it as well and so i think just in terms of industry reputation and direction and movement uh it's very big uh for us in terms of the opportunity for the business it's also it's a big one uh it's still fairly limited so far there's only a few participants in the market we've got the four that launched at the beginning Fanduel, DraftKings, uh bet rivers and caesars and then um BetMGM is live now, and I think points bet, um, and there'll be nine total. So it's not going to be as big as New Jersey in terms of just like having new operators to promote all the time and everything like that. But uh, it's really great. I think it's a it's a big step for the industry because if you'd asked me a year or two ago, like when's the first of the big four states, you probably did ask me this last time I was on. You know, <laughs> uh, I would have just said, yeah, none of them are any anywhere close. But that's the way it goes with this kind of legislation sometimes. You go from nowhere close to it just happens real quickly when everything falls into place. Now, is New York going to be a profitable state for any company in the business? I think that's very much up in the air. Uh, I don't even know if there are any profitable states for, for anyone in the business so far. But, um, and, you know, with that tax rate over 50%, it's pretty tough. But I think in terms of overall industry growth and acceptance around the country and moving towards sort of being past this initial phase of like trying to get it regulated everywhere and, and into the phase of it just being a mainstream industry. This is one of the biggest steps we've seen to date. Yeah. I mean, well, in terms of that rapid growth, um, is there anything about this 
sports betting expansion nationally that has you feeling like things are moving too fast. You know, um, it, it seems to me it's not quite as sudden as the way online poker exploded in the early 2000s, but still it's, it's been faster than most of us probably expected in 2018. So is, is there anything giving you pause and, and making you worry that there are flaws or unsustainable elements in how it's being rolled out? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that some of these operators in particular haven't really thought through what it means to be a national operator versus being state by state. Um, one of the things I discovered recently that I didn't even realize was that with most of the operators, if you sign up in multiple states, you can get the new customer bonus each time. You know, this is probably just kind of a little silly thing, but like if I've already signed up with Caesars in Tennessee, which is I think where I first played with them, why would I get again another free $2,000 bet or whatever when I sign up in New Jersey? They've already got me in their mailing list. I'm getting a million emails calling me emperor every day. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I am I am familiar with their brand name, obviously, and not just because I'm me and I'm in this industry, but I'm just familiar with their brand name. I'm already a customer. And I don't, I don't understand. I just think they're not thinking of their customers as being national customers. They're thinking of them as being state customers. And I, I think some of that stuff, these are kind of small potatoes, like they can make a decision to stop doing that. But um, I think these are things that they're going to need to think through, just like, are we national companies or are we state by state companies? And I also, I've been thinking for years that it would make a lot of sense and is actually plausible that there could eventually be interstate regulatory uh, agencies of sorts. It's not going to be a federal thing as some people would like to see. I don't, I don't see that ever happening, but I could see, for example, uh, one state's regulatory regime sort of being outsourced to other states or, you know, uh, something along those lines where like some new state, let's, let's call it, I don't know, uh, new Arizona or something, you know, <laughs> like out in the, in the West that doesn't have, have anything yet, but sees like their neighboring states, New Mexico and Arizona, both have, uh, you know, both already have a regulatory regime. And it's like, well, we can start a regulator from scratch, like Tennessee did, or some of these other states, and take two years to get it done and be doing all this work that may or may not go very well. Or we could go to Arizona or New Jersey or one of these other states and um, and use their regulatory regime. I don't think we really have a framework to make that work yet, but um, it's one of these things that I think if, if if we slowed down a little bit might've happened in a way that it's not just because of the mad rush to get every state going. So that kind of stuff, I would like to see different, but don't expect to be different. Um, of course, you guys had last week on the show, uh, Brienne Daura, uh, Shawal, and um, she talked a lot about responsible gambling and problem gambling. And, and those are those are kind of the obvious things here to bring up. It's like, are we, are we focusing on growth at all costs and not doing enough to um, think about the potential harms or just societal changes that are happening in the process of this growth that need to be managed and need to be thought out in the process? Um, I'm not an expert on any of this, and I feel like anything I say on it rings kind of hollow, but it is, they are issues I care about. And hope that each state doesn't just regulate because they need to fill a budget gap, but are, is also thinking about what's best for their state, like going transitioning their state from being an offshore state to a regulated state and doing everything they can in that process to make it a better environment for, for their state's residents. So um, I worry about that sometimes with how fast things are moving. Yeah. I mean, on that 
problem gambling front, you know, tying it back again to uh, the industry that you and I were both in some 15 years ago when poker was exploding and it wasn't regulated at all. It was in that sort of gray area of, of legality. There was no talk of, of responsible gambling. It was, you know, you would hear some horror stories, but there was never like anything done to address it. So it's even if, uh, as you said, it's a struggle for the responsible gambling side to, to keep up. I, it's night and day. I think you'd agree uh, better than it was with online poker 15 years ago. Yeah, and just I think what what I worry about is that because we're starting with such a low bar on this kind of stuff, and mm -hmm. Brienne brought this up last week on the show as well about just like the amount of money is zero, uh, you know, in the status quo. So even when a state puts in three hundred thousand dollars or whatever, it it seems much better than zero, but it's still right. not enough. And I think about that with problem gambling, but with other consumer protections type issues as well, and and regulatory issues where. The bar is extremely low. Offshore is not providing any of these protections. And I know some people like offshore for other reasons, but um, offshore is certainly not, uh, you know, an environment where you can really feel safe that your money is being handled in a way that, you know, you have the assurances that you have with, with regulated gambling. And I think because we know it's better than unregulated, uh, we are sort of quick to be happy about kind of any framework we can get past in a state. And I would like to see us kind of move past that mindset, acknowledge that we can get these done, that it's not just a desperate rush and try to get like really the best bills we can through. And, um, you know, I was thinking about Georgia, my state, uh, we've got a couple of, I think there are two different voter referendums coming up later this year on sports betting and uh, it made me think about this whole other can of worms. Like, how do you handle voter referendums on this issue? Uh, California is going to have, I think, four of them this year as well, or maybe four if right. they get enough signatures. But it's like, how do you educate a state of 40 million people as to like which of these referendums is best or what, you know, like what you're actually legalizing by passing these? I feel the same thing in Georgia. I don't think this is a good way. I don't think voter referendum is a good way to handle this kind of issue at all. And uh, I really hope that eventually what happens is that experts come in and craft legislation that makes sense for running a responsible and well-regulated gambling regime. Uh, yeah, I mean, Adam, uh, your state kind of fascinates me. Uh, you know, there aren't there aren't that many states left, uh, maybe like twenty or so, that haven't gotten uh, into sports betting game yet. And really, even casinos in Georgia's case and in the region, you know, I think of Georgia as maybe more cosmopolitan than its neighboring states. But uh, Tennessee, obviously, is way ahead of way ahead of them on this front. And I'm just curious. I mean, in the Northeast, where Eric and I are familiar with, I mean. Even before legal sports betting, I don't think for I, I don't want to speak for him, but I can speak for myself. It wouldn't be unusual to be watching a ball game with a buddy and he says, I can't believe it. I had a hundred bucks on the over and you know I just got beat by half point or whatever. Like even though it was not legal, it was out in the open. Everybody talked about it all the time. And of course, there's Atlantic City casinos and you know, Pennsylvania's had them for over 15 years also. And so there's plenty, and horse racing is big in New Jersey, obviously, and somewhat in Pennsylvania too. So, you know, gambling is all around. I mean, I, I know Georgia has lottery and I lottery which is a little bit unusual but i'm just curious because you've got a young family so you're dealing with a lot of neighbors and and other families and you know and, and kind of polite conversation 
if you're watching a ball game or talking about the result of a game, is there that easy banter about, yeah, I can't believe I blew 50 bucks in that game or sort of a, do people talk about it and B, do you think they don't talk about it, but they're really doing it anyway. It's just not socially acceptable. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> pretty much. Um, I, I do. Yeah. I think just like everybody does it I, is the basic answer to that. And um, yeah, I'll have friends over for, you know, watching the games, like one of my friends that lives around the corner who has two boys about the age of my boys, who my boys are eight and seven, his are around the same age. And uh, they were over at our house watching the Titans game last weekend. You know, um, we don't need to talk about that game, but um, we were uh, watching, you know, like whenever he's over, we're just talking about this stuff nonstop. I'm sure that knowing what my career is, uh, greases the wheels on people being willing to talk about these things and, you know, ways that other people don't. And I'm also, I'm really big on just games gambling in general, not like, not like degenerate gambling, but I like, um, I like betting on things, just like random things. Like I like to, you know, if someone makes a prediction about something and I have a different prediction, I like being, well, let's put a little money on it. Like not life-changing money, but just if we're going to make predictions, let's, let's make predictions with a little bit of stake on it. And uh, that's just kind of my personality, which is also considered extremely impolite, obviously in, in normal society, but I kind of like to do it anyway and just see how, how people, uh, how it rubs off on people. And so, you know, it gets the gambling wheels greased quickly, but I tend to find that like everybody's cool with it, that whenever um, sports betting comes up as, as, you know, discussing my career, like, you know, if I'm at my son's baseball practice talking with other parents or something like that, that people either are wondering when it's coming to Georgia and wanting it to come to Georgia or um, are surprised it hasn't come to Georgia yet or think it may have come to Georgia, but aren't sure because they heard it was legalized everywhere. Uh, you know, it, it ranges from not knowing much about what's going on to wishing they had it. And so, I, I just, I mean, obviously probably my suburban, like, you know, my suburban community is not representative of the state as a whole. I guess if you get into certain more rural, like kind of more evangelical areas that it would be less supported and probably potentially somewhat less supported in really urban areas as well. I think the community, I, the community you live in affects a lot of that, but where I live, just like suburban Atlanta, I don't know anybody who said to me like, yeah, I think it should stay illegal, like, or even just implied that it just doesn't seem like the way people think here at all. And I think it will happen, by the way. I don't know if it'll happen by voter referendum or what, but um, all the big sports teams here, the Atlanta United, the Braves, the Falcons and the Hawks all support uh, legalization and they've kind of come together on a framework and it's just a matter of getting it passed one way or another. So I just, I don't think the, um, like the boonies kind of rule the state, but I don't think they're going to rule it on this issue. I think it's going to happen. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, uh, you know, look out for a lot of spending on this either way, support or, or opposition. So like it could go either way there. You know, in 2016, there was a referendum in New Jersey on whether to expand uh, casino gambling outside of Atlantic City. It's a, a unique state in the country where all of the casinos, all nine of them are in one city in South Jersey, and there's no other casinos in the state. And there's no casino right in the heart of the metropolitan area yet, although they're coming soon uh, to New York. So uh, there was a referendum on it. And basically, the opposition, it was Yonkers Raceway and uh, 
uh, uh, a, a casino in Atlantic City and others uh, who spent about $10 million on a campaign, which had never happened before in a referendum in New Jersey to oppose it. And it was like, you know, don't trust Trenton or whatever. So everybody in the state hates lawmakers. And so just mentioning Trenton and uh, means yeah. like, oh, they support it. Then I don't. It was like 80 to, 80 to 20 against, even though it was very vague about how, you know, where they would be. Would they be in North Jersey? What communities? Nobody knew. You know, it was a poorly designed piece of a, of a referendum of a ballot question. But uh, the main point was that if there's money involved, you know, and one group gets the jump on the other, it's going to happen. So uh, it'll be interesting because Georgia, I think, could go either way. There might be a lot of money against it, might be a lot of money for it even more fun if, if both sides spend a ton of money, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think you never know when you vote in a voting referendum whose bidding you're doing, right? Like you you kind of like try to read through and see what you think about the issue, but a lot of the time it's being framed in a way that someone wrote out with a purpose. Uh, it's kind of like push-pulling in a way sometimes. And so it is very tricky. I also think that when I go to vote, just personally, um, and my ballots aren't even that long because I don't live in like the big city or anything, but I, I go through and I vote for, you know, the offices I know about, the big ones, and I kind of get through and I'm like voting for county magistrate and whatever, and I don't even know who the people are. And you get into these nonpartisan local races and a lot of times you've never heard of anyone. And then you get through all that and then you get to all the ballot questions. At that point, I'm just like tired. Like, I just want to leave. And sometimes they're like, you know, a couple of paragraphs long and they're about issues I don't know anything about, which is sports betting for most people. And, uh, you know, it's just like, it's not like I'm reading this and making some highly informed, intelligent decision about what to vote for. A lot of times I just leave them blank. So um, it, it's really hard for me to understand what the politics of these like how it works and, and how people make decisions about voting for them. So I think you're right. It is about how much money goes out to educate people about what this referendum is and whether you should vote yes or no for it. And it's really hard to say how that's going to play out. I think the, the key move, if they really want to get people voting in favor of bringing sports betting to the state is send a bunch of emails calling the voters emperor and, uh, and then they'll be on board. Uh, you know, that's, that's, yes. it, it seems to be working on you, at least, Adam. Are you a communist? If not, vote no. Or, you know, like some, <laughs> some sort of just like widespread labeling that uh, right. no one wants to be a communist. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, I, it's really hard to predict for me because it just feels like the vast majority of people who, who even get to that ballot question don't know really what they're looking at. All right. Uh, another uh, fascinating conversation with you here on the podcast. Um, I can't promise when the next appearance will be, but I can promise you there will be a next appearance and we look forward to it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on Gamble On once again, Adam. So much fun. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Adam. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll. We'll get to our NFL playoff pick shortly, but first, let's update our betting bankroll. Let's let's not. <laughs> <laughs> we have to, John. We we owe our listeners full transparency. 
we have hit rock bottom. Uh, our bankroll had its worst week ever and is now at its lowest point. Uh, both of us lost every bet we made. Plus, I lost a couple of previously placed futures bets. It's Fuck. ugly, uh, but let's run through what happened. Uh, first, you'll recall that I placed a bet on the Titans at plus 500 to win the AFC heading into the final week of the regular season. Nope. Uh, three interceptions was one too many. We lost $60 on that. Uh, then I had two small long shot bets in the Australian Open, Carlos Alcaraz and Andre Rublev for $15 each. They both fell in the third round. Also in the third round, I bet on Rafael Nadal to beat Karen Kachanov in straight sets at plus 135. Rafa cruised through the first two sets, but dropped the third before easily closing it out in the fourth. We lost $74 there. And I had a boxing parlay bet. Subriel Matias held up his end, but minus 400 favorite Gary Russell Jr. could not. He fought with one arm and lost a majority decision. So that's another $100 down the tubes. Over to John's side of the ledger, where we lost $110 on the Chiefs' bills under. Uh, it looked okay at halftime, and it looked okay at the end of the third quarter. But the game managed to finish over by 23 and a half points. Uh, and we had four golf bets and went over four, losing $10 on Scotty Scheffler to win, $20 on Scheffler top five, $50 on Sung Im top 10, and $50 on Abraham Answer top 20. Add it all up. And between new bets and futures bets, we dropped a brutal $504 this week, oh. putting us down by $2,451. We have a mere $410 on hold in futures bets, leaving us with $7,139 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. This is two straight weeks now where I had a top 10 golf pick finish 11th. Mm. Ouch. Uh, it was a uh, solo 11th the week before. And this past week was uh, uh, Sungjae Im and Siwoo Kim. Im and Kim finished 11th <laughs> <the> tie. <laughs> and you're having a wager on the Chiefs bills over under. I mean, it's kind of weird. They scored 14 points in the first 28 minutes of the game right. and 25 points in the last two minutes of the game. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I, is that a terrible bet? I don't know. Like you say, it was looked good for a while, but uh, anyway, onward and upward. So, you know, back to the golf uh, top 20 has been much kinder to me than top 10, obviously of late. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, this week's event in San Diego and the PGA tour uh, runs Wednesday through Saturday for a few reasons. So the tour seems reluctant to admit that it wants to avoid the 3 PM to 11 PM window in the East right. coast where the NFL conference title games will squat all comers so uh, we're through one round uh entering thursday morning uh, the best i could find then was a top 10 finish uh oh on justin thomas at 125 to win 100 it's only one shot away and he played the tough for the two courses in round one so i expect him to be inside the number after 36 holes and he never leaves okay um i'm starting off this week with a bet that can't possibly lose us money at least not for a few months. Um, I'm going to do an NBA futures bet. Uh, I don't think the odds makers are taking the Miami Heat quite seriously enough. They're 31 and 17. They've risen to the best record in the Eastern Conference. They have a great shot at the number one seed in the playoffs, in part because they get to beat up on a relatively weak Southeast division. They're also just a really solid, well-rounded team. Veteran leaders in Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, younger players, Bam Adebayo, Tyler Hero. They're the team with maybe the fewest obvious weaknesses in the East. The way I see it, the East is pretty much a three-team race. It's going to be the Heat, the Bucks, or the Nets, with the Nets, of course, looking very iffy now, but if they're healthy for the playoffs, then they're right there with the other two teams. Anyway, I think there's something like a 25% chance the Heat come out of the East, um, but the Nets remain overvalued, so that means we're getting great value on the Heat. Mm. They're as high as plus 625 if you shop around. Now, the Bucks at plus 350 at points bet 
That's not a bad number either, but I like the bigger number. Let's ride with Miami. Let's go $60 to win 375 if they make the NBA finals. All right. And after my modest two game winning streak with under NFL picks, uh, yeah, I got beat up uh, last weekend by the Chiefs. So I'm going to flip to the over this week at 54 and a half points. Bengals at Chiefs at 110 to win 100. Um, Chiefs have two possible missing secondary pieces, one of them being Honey Badger. And that would not bode well for them against Joe Burrow. Okay. Uh, well, my uh, second bet also has uh, is centered on that game, although it's kind of centered on the whole weekend uh, or the whole Sunday slate. FanDuel has some fun props on these conference championship games on which player will lead the whole weekend in various categories and most receiving yards caught my eye. The favorite, understandably, is Cooper Cup at plus 210. But next is Jamar Chase of the Bengals at plus 410. I'll remind you that four weeks ago against this Chiefs defense, he caught 11 passes for 266 yards and three touchdowns and broke the fantasy slate. Uh, now that could work against him. Andy Reid's game plan might be, hey, Jamar Chase isn't going to beat us. Um, but still, he, he's a special talent. He's in the game yeah. that projects to be the higher scoring game, as you obviously identified with your overbet. And the theoretical game scripts say... The Bengals are the team out of all four teams this weekend, the team that's most likely to be trailing and airing it out. And even when they aren't trailing, they air it out. They love letting Burrow go. They mm -hmm. called 48 pass plays and 16 rushing plays last week against Tennessee. So I realize there are a lot of good pass catchers in action this weekend. Cup, Hill, Kelsey, T. Higgins, Kittle, Debo, although Debo is half running back at this point. Anyway, there is a lot of competition, but I still think there is value on Chase at plus 410. So let's bet 50 bucks to win 205. And we finished the show with our NFL playoff picks where last week, John won the one game we diverged on. He had the Bengals and I had the Titans. So John went two and two on the week and I went one and three. And that leaves us tied both six and four with three games remaining in the football season. And it's my turn to pick first this week. We start with the AFC championship game Bengals at chiefs. The Superbook has the chiefs favored by seven. I expect the Chiefs to win this game. Uh, it's not a lock, but uh, let's just say even at plus 275 on the money line, I can't quite bet on the Bengals to win outright. Um, but with the spread, I think the Bengals are the right side. They can put up points here. They can keep it close. They can force a turnover, stay in this game. The Chiefs are emotionally and physically drained from that Bills game. I kind of think they won't have the legs to pull away. So I will take the Bengals plus seven. Yeah, I'm going to also go with the Bengals in the seven, not only based on the Chiefs banged up secondary that I mentioned, but also there's at least minor health questions about others like Tyreek Hill and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. So mm -hmm. there's a lot going on with that. So the NFC Championship now, we have the 49ers at the Rams. The Rams are favored by three and a half. So the temptation is to chase the hook, but I won't. Former Redskins, sorry. Uh, Trent Williams is bravely claiming he'll find a way to play, but I say he can't thanks to his bum ankle. Missing your left tackle against the Rams defensive front is no way to go through life or even just a ball game. All right. So you've got the Rams minus three and a half, which means that we will not have the exact same record heading into the Super Bowl. I'm taking the other side. Um, <laughs> there's there's this myth that people like to trot out. It's hard to beat the same team three times in a season. I call it a myth because uh, since 1982, when a team swept the season series against a divisional rival and they met a third time in the playoffs, the team that won the first two has won 67% of the time in that playoff game. Uh, so the, the numbers say the exact opposite of the common saying, not that it's easy to beat the same team three times, but if you beat them twice, maybe it's because it's just a good matchup for you. So you're twice as likely as they are to win the third one. Now, of course, the 49ers don't have to win this game to be the right side. They just need to not lose by more than three. 
and the Rams have shown a scary propensity for letting opponents back into the game, whether it's the Bucks last week or these very Niners in the last week of the regular season, when at one point, according to those win percentages, the Rams were 99.6% to win and send the Saints to the playoffs instead of the Niners. Um, I see another close one here. I think either team can win, so I will take the points, the three and a half on San Francisco, even though talent-wise, I do think the Rams have the better team. And I'll note that I'm 50, 49, and one. So no pressure ah, on me at all. No, no, no. There you go. I am something lower than that. Uh, and I don't need to add it up. I'm, I'm just I'm just playing to win the postseason. The regular season is over for me. Okay. <laughs> and that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And thanks again to our guest, Adam Small. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else. And with that, John, please take us out. Well, I went through with it and used about six bucks worth of gas to cross the New York state border and back last week and risk air quotes, 50 bucks on the Knicks to cover what turned out to be a 221 and a half point spread against the Pelicans. I think they lost the game, but I, they, they, they covered that 221 <laughs> and a half point spread handily. So uh, I'm fortunate to have been covering a geolocation technology issue since 2013 when it had to prove itself before New Jersey could launch unlike casino gaming later that year. So I knew that I'd get no more than half mile past the border when I pulled over over and took my iPhone out and I found the relevant app. And the only difference from being at home was I needed to remember which email address was linked to the account. That's the chain. <laughs> I, I guess right on the first try and there it was. And Good. so thanks New York State mobile betting launch and the resulting promotional barrage. All that said, my advice is to tread carefully. Not all the promotions are quite what they are cracked up to be as this one is. And uh, my rule of thumb probably would be to not chase more than you could afford to lose should you screw up completely and misunderstand the offer. So ideally, you know somebody who can guide you through it, but better still. But if done right, well, you know, I've enjoyed spending more than three years now playing with nothing but house money in my so-called gambling. It takes some discipline or better still being frugal. But if you live in and or near the right state, it is possible to beat the house these days. And with that, until next time, gamble on.